Psalms is a wonderful, wonderful book. It amazes me how God can weave together the timely instruction and necessary wisdom through such beautiful language. Well, today we examine a small portion of the longest chapter in Scripture in Psalms 119. We examine this prayer of the psalmist. You know, what it is he longed for, and what it is he sought, and what he struggled with in this message titled, The Psalmist's Plea from He. I pray it's a blessing to you. number 33 the bible says this it says teach me O lord the way of thy statutes and i shall keep it unto the end give me understanding and i shall keep thy law yea i shall observe it with my whole heart make me to go in the path of thy commandments for therein do i delight incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for using men and women of old as you would um, speak to them by the Holy Spirit of God and move upon them what you would have them to write. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you used uh, good men and women uh, throughout the course of history to bring about uh, what you would have done. And Lord, we just ask that you would do that tonight. God, that you would use your servant not to... Uh, expound upon my own thoughts, God, but to expound upon the Word of God. Uh, for as I had said, Lord, that's what matters. God, I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us tonight. God, I ask you, Lord, that you just be with us. And Lord, do what you would see fit in the hearts of your people. God, I do ask, uh, Lord, that you just make us receptive. Make us receptive, God. Give us the courage, Lord, to follow after that. And we'll thank you for it. I thank you for these people, God, that made their way out into your house tonight. And I pray, God, you bless them special for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This chapter in which uh, we look uh, and take our scripture from this evening is... As many of you know, the longest chapter in the Word of God. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting chapter. 176 verses in this chapter. Eight verses per section, 22 sections. And it is what's called a, a, a acrostic poem. In that every word, in the original Hebrew anyway, was, was based upon the letter in which it represents... Uh, Aleph is the first eight. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in, uh, in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and so on and so forth. Those eight verses and then Beth and the next eight. And it follows after the Hebrew alphabet. 
And here we are, we're on the fifth section here of he. And I'm assuming that is the way you pronounce that. Uh, that is the only way I know how to pronounce it is he. And so uh, as we look at the scripture today, we're going to focus upon that portion. And uh, the, the entirety of Psalms 119 is focused upon the Word of God. It's focused upon the commandments of God. I did a word cloud on Psalm 119. And if you don't know what a word cloud is, what it does is it takes every word that you would put in there and it would make some words bigger that appear more often. Okay, so you can, when you do that, you can kind of get a sense of what is going on in that by the repetition of certain words. The word cloud for Psalm 119, uh, you would find the word commandments used 21 times, judgments used 18 times, keep or kept 29 times, law 25 times, precepts 21 times, testimonies 22 times, word 38 times. So all but one of those is speaking about the Word of God, the commandments of God, the judgments of God, the law of God, the precepts of God, the testimonies of God. And so it's all focused around God's Word, and then you see keep or kept used 29 times. That's what that word cloud would represent. And so we see that all throughout Psalm 119, we also see it in our portion of Scripture here uh, this evening, this fifth portion, that of He, these eight verses in which we'll look at today. And, and I want to tell you, you know, much, much more could be given on these verses than what I will give you uh, this evening, uh, but I believe there's much to be gained on what we shall look at. Uh, and, and this is, if you were to break it down, you would see that this is a petition or a prayer or a plea from the psalmist unto God. The entirety of this, he is pleading unto God for these things. And so the title of this message simply is this, uh, the psalmist plea from he. The psalmist plea from he. So uh, I, I thought it was cute. I don't know about you, but uh, either way, that's the title of this message. And so in looking at this passage of Scripture, there's one thing that I want to, the first thing that I want to look at is that uh, the psalmist, there was a realization that occurred in the mind of the psalmist. It's apparent from the petitions that the psalmist were putting forth that some things he understood, some things he come to realize about himself and that's why he was praying in the manner in which he was. The first thing is, and that's something too, because uh, there's many people today, many Christians today, that just don't really understand who they are and who God is. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't realize those things. And if they, and, and, and if they were to realize that, man, God could really use them to their full potential. And because, honestly, church, the only limit to our potential, uh, potential to be used by God is the limit of what God can do. Amen? That's the, 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 the fullness of how we can be used by God because as you look through Scripture, you see that in uh, many instances, um, God would use the meekest, the smallest, uh, among them to, you, to do great and mighty things. The psalmist realized several things, one of which was uh, in his inclination to wander. Verse number 35. 
Verse number 35, it says this. It says, Make me to go in the path of thy commandments. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments. Because, uh, in, in other words, it was his inclination, his fleshly nature that desired to go in a different path. He wanted God to make him to go in the path of his commandments because his inclination was to go in a different way. And we see that inclination all throughout Scripture. We see that Eve displayed it in Genesis 3-6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desired to, be ma- to uh, make one wise, she took of the thru- uh, fruit thereof and did eat. See, God had told her not to do it, but she did it anyway. Why? Because her natural inclination was to go after vanity and the things that she desired. Moses dealt with it uh, concerning the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 12.8. It says this, it says, Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man was whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Uh, Moses was dealing with a problem that uh, the children of Israel just did what they felt like. Not what God had commanded, not what God had commissioned, but whatever they felt like. And that is a recurring problem for the children of Israel through the book of Judges. Judges 17.9 being an example. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Ezekiel wrote of it. Ezekiel 34 and 6 says, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them. It's the sheep's natural tendency to wander and to move away. And of course, Paul spoke of it in Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And, and in our children also display this natural tendency, and that is to wander. Uh, little Ada was here, the, uh, here just a few weeks ago, and she's just as cute as she can be. That little girl's ornery. Amen, amen, amen. Y'all, y'all don't get mad at me. I've already said this to Brother Dylan. But Brother Dylan was telling me something. Brother Dylan uh, was telling me if there was a cell phone or something around, she knows she's not supposed to have it. You know what she does? She doesn't leave it alone. She knows she's not supposed to have it. What she does is she grabs it and then she runs with it with that big smile on her face. (laughs) You know. And uh, and, and if there's something she knows that she's not supposed to have, she, she, she gets it. Why does she do that? It's very simple. It's in nature. We want to do what we want to do. And it is within us, our natural selves, that desire, that inclination to wander away. And so we see that the psalmist was aware of this. He realized that man, in his self, in his nature, he desired to go after his path and to do his bidding and to do his will, not God's. And that leads me to this point, church, and that is simply this, that you will not follow the path of God by accident. You won't do it by accident. You're going to have to purpose to follow the path that God has for you. Because everything in you that is in your flesh desires to do something different. It desires to follow your own path. The psalmist realized this. Many Christians don't, and so therefore they wander And they wonder why they can't do what they really would like to do for the things of, uh, for the cause of Christ. Realization occurred that his his inclination was to wander. 
And it wasn't just that, but his inclination was to selfishness unto himself. Verse number 36, it says this, it says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Incline my heart to thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. That testimonies, defined means this, concretely a witness, a testimony. In other words, what God says and not what I want. So in this verse number 36, you see a contrast. You see that his heart, uh, he wants God to take his heart and put them unto what God would have, what God would say instead of my way. In other words, he was, he was pleading for God, help me, my heart to go thy way and not my way. Why? Same thing. Our inclination is to wander. Our inclination is unto vanity. Our inclination is unto serving ourselves instead of serving God. In church, this attitude in which we have in our fleshly desire for selfishness uh, is the same attitude in which Satan had and displayed in Isaiah uh, 14, 13. It says, For thou has said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will set upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, uh, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. The psalmist, in his wisdom, he understood, he understood that his heart was full of covetousness. It, it, was, it was inclined to go that way, and so therefore he pled unto the Lord, and he said, incline my heart unto thy testimonies instead of uh, and not to covetousness. And then we see also the psalmist realized that uh, his inclination was to be prideful, to be full of pride. Verse number 37, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken me in thy way. And in all these verses, we see those great contrasts. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not the covetousness. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Uh, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken me in uh, thy way. We see these contrasts. The psalmist's inclination, again, it is, not, it is not remotely unique at all to the psalmist. In fact, it's uh, something that afflicts us all. His inclination was to... Uh, uh, to pride and to uh, vanity. He was aware. He was aware that his heart uh, was such. Solomon. Solomon was um, one of the wisest men that ever walked upon the face of the earth. Some would say the wisest, of course. Uh, if they would say it in that manner, they would include Christ. That's why I always say one of the wisest men to walk upon the face of the earth. But Solomon had this to say about himself and about what he saw in man. Ecclesiastes 1.14 said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says, Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Now this was the wisest man upon earth, and so therefore he had the wisdom to understand this. He still realized it, but he still did it. He still did it. 
Ecclesiastes 2.17, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And so we see that contrast. And quicken me in thy way. Instead of my way, instead of, instead of pridefulness and lifting of myself up, instead of the selfishness, man, quicken me in thy way. Make me alive to go in the way in which you would have me to go. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts, and this, this is God. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways uh, your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. And so one of the, the first thing we see in this, uh, in this portion of Scripture, in this great chapter uh, 119 of Psalms, is we see the psalmist, he has a realization, he understands, he understands better who he is than what many people do. And that is why he prayed in the manner in which he did. That is why he sought God to help him. In, these, uh, in, in this endeavor, he understood his flesh was weak, and so therefore he prayed in that manner. He knew his inclination was to wander, to be self-serving, uh, to be prideful. And then uh, next, we see that his reliance was evident. You know, and, and this brings me to, to a point that I did not write down, that is this. You know, after every service... We have a time where the children of God and sinners are like, man, they can come to the altar and get help. And, uh, you know, some people utilize that and some people don't for whatever reason. And, and thank God you don't necessarily have to go to an altar to get help. Man, but it's good to. It's good to. And no matter what the message is, you see, God can help us. In our afflictions, God can help us in what we're struggling with. God can help us. We need to be reliant on God. The psalmist here is fully reliant on God to help him in every manner in which he is praying for. 2 Corinthians 3 5 says this. It says, Now we are sufficient, we are not that we are sufficient ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is God. I'm telling you that God can help you no matter what your situation is, no matter what your problem is, no matter what your issue is. God can help you in that. The psalmist, we see that over and over and over throughout this entire eight verses, he says this. Notice the first word here teach me. Uh, verse 34, give me understanding. Verse number 35, make me to go in the path of uh, thy commandments. Verse 30, uh, that was 35, 36, incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Verse 37, turn away mine eyes. Verse 38, establish thy word. Verse 39, turn away my reproach. I mean, over and over and over, he is petitioning God to help him. He was reliant on God for his help. I'm going to address just a few of those here. Tonight, number one, one of the things he asked, we see in verse number 30 way, uh, 35, or excuse me, 33, he says, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. Teach me. He wanted to know his commandments. He wanted to know what was expected of him. Now, I want to, number one, mention something that is apparent unto all of us. And that is what was happening, or the situation in that day, is different than the situation in our day. 
You see, the psalmist was praying and he was seeking and he was relying on God and he was asking God, God, teach me thy statutes. He wanted to know more. But you see, in that day, God's full revelation was not known like it is today. You see, in that day, things were different. In that day, they had types and shadows of what was to come. And, and, and they understood in part. But now we look back and we see things clearly. We have a greater understanding, uh, a revelation, than what they did in that day. And so when he's, he's praying, he says, teach me thy statutes. He was wanting to know what God expected of him. And he knew in part, but man, today there is no excuse why we should not know that. How do you think we know or can know what God expects of us today? It's because we have this. See, we have the full revelation of God. Now, think about this for a moment. Let me ask you, parents, how you would approach this situation. Imagine to your children, we all love our children, right? Amen. Everybody loves your children. We're all on the same page there. Now, imagine if you took the time and care and effort and wrote unto them, everything that they needed to make their life better, to make their life uh, more fulfilling, to make their life more pleasant, to bring them more joy, to give them purpose. And you wrote all that down for them. You cared enough that you took the time and wrote it all down for them and you presented it unto them and, they say, and, and said, here, child, this is for you. Man, anything you need, anything you're going to encounter in this life, I've been there, I've done it, I know it. Anything you encounter in this life, this will help you. And then they had it, and they had access to it, and yet they never opened it. And it didn't help them. Now, is that God's fault, or is that the parent's fault, or is that the child's fault? <laughs> I don't think so. You see, but that's, that's pretty much exactly the situation we find ourselves in today. God has given us everything we need to know. Amen? Everything we need to know. And so, if we were to be honest, and, and, and if we were to pray as a psalmist and said, said, God, teach me thy statutes, you know all we would have to do to make that come true? Open it and read it. That's it. That's it. Let me ask you this. Why don't we do that? Why is it so difficult for so many Christians to spend time in what God has given them? Because here's the truth. If you did not pick up your Bible and look at it this week, I can guarantee you're not alone. In fact, in this room, you're probably in the majority. And it should not be that way, amen? shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be that way. The psalmist desired to know. He desired to know what God would have of him. He wanted to know what God's statutes were. And church, let me tell you what, there is no excuse why we should not know 
what is expected of us. Because God has went through, um, God has placed us in the day, age, and place in which we can have His perfect word. The psalmist desired. He was relying on God for God to show him what he was what was expected of him. God has done that for us today. God has already provided that for us. In the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses upon them, and hath committed unto us a word of reconciliation. I read that. That was part of the Scripture in, in the message this morning. And you see, here's the deal. God has given us His Word to guide us, and He's trusted us with His Word to guide others. The Word of God will help and bless and give the Christian what they need so that the Christian can in turn go into the world, into, let me rephrase that, all the world, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen? He's given us that. Um, so we see the psalmist, he was uh, relying on God to know His commandments, and then not only to know His commandments, but to give Him understanding. Well, what does that mean? Verse number 34, it says, Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. I mean, he's already. it sounds almost repetitious when you were to put 33 and 34 together, but there's difference between knowing the statutes and understanding the statutes, understanding it. You see, because here's, here's the thing. I can know a fact, but it's different to understand not just the fact, but the ramifications of that. I can only explain it maybe by giving some illustration thereof. But you see, in, with the Christian, the Bible tells us, the Bible gives us what we need to know in the commandments, and then it tells us that we can understand fully what it says. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and braideth not, and it shall be given unto him. And so I can go in my Bible, and I can look at Exodus chapter 20, and I can see some of the laws of God, and I can, under, I can know what it says, but to understand it conveys something deeper. And in so, you know, what would it mean? How would I understand that if I were to um, tell a lie? What would that understanding look like? Well, I can read it. It says, you know, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. But to understand that would mean this. And that is to understand thou shalt not bear false witness. And that if I do what the ramifications of doing that would mean. You see, because... It's one thing to lie, but it's another thing to understand what it means and what would happen if I do. See, if I lie, if I bear false witness, then uh, that would hurt my testimony. It would hurt my testimony. It wouldn't just hurt my, my testimony, but it would turn others away from the God in which I am proclaiming. You see, that's understanding. That's understanding. It's one thing to read in there, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's another thing to understand the ramifications of what would happen there. Number one, my wife would probably kill me. But you see, if I were to do that, what kind of ramifications would it have on my home? It would tear up my home. It would tear up my marriage. It would uh, hurt my children. It would hurt the church. 
And see, that's understanding. That's understanding, not just knowing what it says, but understanding the ramifications of what would happen whether uh, for the obedience or disobedience. Uh, what would it mean if I place other gods before Him? And so you could take this and you could just run with it uh, in, in many different instances. But the psalmist here, he didn't just want to know what God said. Man, he wanted to understand so he could apply it. All the things in which God has said... So he prayed for, for, to know his word. He prayed to give him understanding. And then he prayed, and we see in verse number six, to, 36, to move his heart unto God. Verse 36, it says, incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Well, what is that, what is that heart? I mean, the heart, of course, is your love, your, your, your thoughts, your, your care. Um, where his attention lies. That's what the heart is. Proverbs 4.23, it says this. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so the psalmist is entrusting his heart unto the Lord. He says, incline my heart. And so he's looking to, he's entrusting his heart unto God. I'm going to say this. I've seen many people entrust their heart in many different uh, places, things, and, and, and people, oftentimes to their hurt or destruction, right? Oftentimes to their hurt or destruction. I've seen young girls entrust their heart unto young boys, only to have those young boys get what they want and leave them uh, with uh, you know, children out of wedlock or whatever and then run off. I've seen uh, people entrust their heart to uh, certain people or places and things like that. And, and, but let me, let me say this. If you just entrust your heart to the Lord, you will not be sorry. Amen? You'll never go wrong entrusting your heart to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's entrusting his heart. He's entrusting his love. And he's asking God to help him to incline them unto his testimonies. Because as we said earlier, his tendency is not unto the things of God, but unto the things of self. And so he, he prays to move his heart unto God. And then uh, verse number 37, he's, he's also praying uh, to open his eyes to truth. Verse number 37 says, Turn away uh, mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy, uh, thy way. We see that uh, he wanted his eyes opened. To the truth. Now, of course, the scripture says to turn away mine eyes, uh, but but that is from beholding vanity, and, and that is it, it's not just turning away his eyes, but it's opening to what the truth is. Paul had the right attitude in Philippians three eight says, "Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, uh, that I may win Christ." So many Christians have been blinded from what the truth really is. The truth about who we are, the truth about who He is, the truth about what truly matters, the truth about what the purpose of life is. Uh, but you know what? Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7, He says, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall uh, be opened unto you. And so listen, if you want your eyes opened... If you want to see things clearly, and I say that on purpose, not by accident, if you want to see things clearly, so many people are so satisfied being like 
the proverbial ostrich and sticking their head in the sand and living in ignorance so that they may continue living the life they want to live instead of the life that God would have for them. But if you want your eyes open, make no mistake, God will open your eyes. Christ did this. He gave us this great example in Mark 10. Uh, Jesus' encounter with a blind man. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, uh, Lord, that I might receive my sight. This man wanted to see. He couldn't see. He knew he couldn't see. And so therefore he asked Jesus to uh, receive his sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus uh, in the way. And so all the blind man had to do, all he had to do was to trust in Jesus to seek him and ask him to open his eyes, and he did. He did. I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us, if we just ask the Lord to open my eyes, Lord, show me where it is I'm failing in my Christian walk. Show me where it is. Show me where it is that I am following your testimonies, but show me where it is where I am forsaking your testimonies. Show me where it is, God, so that uh, you may mold me into this what you would have me to be. Lord, open my eyes because it seems that it, it, it seems I'm doing okay, but I don't want to do okay. I want to live the life in which you would have for me. So open my eyes and see. Show me where I'm failing. I wonder how many of us would actually pray that prayer and, and not find anything in our lives that needs refining. I don't know about you. I need refining. Amen. I need some rough edges smoothed out. I need some, Lord knows I need a lot. <laughs> hey, thank you, brother. Amen. The psalmist, he prayed, the plea from he, this prayer that the psalmist, see first that uh, uh, a realization occurred. The psalmist realized he was inclined. His natural tendency was to wander, to be self-serving, to be prideful. Uh, secondly, we see his reliance upon God. Uh, all these verses, man, is just a plea unto God to help him, help him, whether it was to teach him, to establish him, to incline his heart, to turn his eyes, to take away his repair. It didn't matter. Uh, but, but he was seeking God's help in doing all of these things. And then uh, lastly here, uh, for just a moment, we'll see that um, a response was assured. A response was assured. The psalmist wasn't just asking to be asking. He wasn't asking God to help him and to show him and to do without his assurance that once he did, once God did open his eyes, once God did show him his law, once God did give him understanding, he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Verse number 33 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my half heart. Wrong. I shall observe it with my whole heart. 
That psalmist, he, he said, if you will do this for me, God. And so he's praying and he's pleading unto God. He's saying, God, just show me these things. Please help me. Refine me. And God, whatever you show me, man, I want to follow after it. I want to follow you. I want to do what you'd have me to do. I want to do that, God. I want to do it. I don't want to do it half-hearted. I want to be half-hearted Christian. Listen, there's enough of them. Amen. I want to follow you with my heart. If you'll just show me, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. We see it's, 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 it's a prayer of dedication. We see the cause and effect in both of those verses. God, if you will do this, man, I will. I will. I will. I'll follow after you. There's many thoughts on why Christians live the life in which they do today. And I, I, I think that I would be in agreement, or you would at least be in agreement with me, that America does not display many characteristics of a Christian nation today. There's a remnant. There's some, right? But, but as a whole, America. And see, the problem is the majority of Americans proclaim Christ. The majority of Americans call themselves Christians. And that's where the problem lies. It's not like we live in a, in a professing heathen nation, but we live in a professing Christian nation, but it doesn't show any characters. And there's so many reasons why you could maybe attribute that to. One of them would be what we addressed this morning, and that is simply that they've never experienced. They've never experienced uh, the spiritual birth. They've never experienced restoration. Other things could uh, quite possibly be that they have been born again, but they have no desire for the things of God. Which I don't know how that works, but anything's possible, amen? They have no desire for the things of God. And so they live, they, 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 they live in this perpetual... It's like if I walked around like this, everything's fuzzy. Right? I can't tell if you're sleeping right now. I can't tell. I can't tell if you're laughing at me, if you're frowning at me, if you're making faces at me. I can't tell. I can't see anybody's face to give any distinguishable characteristics. And I'm not satisfied walking around like that, man. I, I'd much rather walk around like this. I like seeing clearly. I either have my glasses on or, or contacts in or something. I hate walking around like this. First thing I do in the morning, I grab uh, either my glasses to put on or I, if I'm planning on putting my contacts in, I put them in. Why? Because I want to see clearly. But I think a lot of Christians are satisfied walking around like this. They see just good enough. They see just good enough. And they think maybe that because they, they don't know or if they are purposefully ignorant that that makes them less culpable. But church, it doesn't. Still give answer. Still give answer. Still give answer. So, the psalmist here. The psalmist here, man, he had, uh, he had the right mindset in that he understood his natural tendencies to wander away, to stray away, to, uh, to, to walk a different path than what God would want for him. He understood that. 
And the only way to guard against something is to understand it. The only way to guard against it is to understand it. And church, listen, that is a tendency in our flesh that every one of us will have. So you need to understand that so you can guard against it. The psalmist understood that. Uh, then he prayed and he relied on God to help him to open his eyes and to show him these different things. And then uh, lastly, his response was assured in that God was not going to open his eyes in vain. He wasn't going to open his eyes in vain. He was committing himself to if God would show him, he would do it. If God would show him, he would do it. I wonder, uh, I wonder uh, about each one of us. Each one of us. Very few, very few Christians are seeking out how to get closer to God. Very few Christians really want to learn how, how, how. I've never been asked that question. Preacher, how can I get closer to God? How can I do that? How can I get closer to God? A friend of mine said that uh, that used to be the way it was, but uh, instead today people are worried about how close they can walk to hell without falling in. I, I believe that's about right. Amen. I believe that's about right. Uh, but that, that doesn't have to be for you. Doesn't have to be for you. Doesn't have to be for me. I'm going to make that decision for myself. I'm going to make the decision on whether I'm going to be like this psalmist. I'm going to guard against those things in which I know I'm susceptible for, man. I'm going to seek God's help to grow me in the things of God. And once God shows me, I'll commit to doing my part. I'll commit to following what He shows me. I, I can make that decision for me. You can make that decision for you. And, um, And we'll see, we'll see what the rewards will be or the chastisement when we do leave this world and stand before God.